On today's episode, we have Jerry DePoto. Jerry is the maestro behind the Seattle Mariners front office. Throughout his illustrious career, Jerry has established himself as one of the most influential and dynamic figures in Major League Baseball. From his days as a talented pitcher in the big leagues to his masterful work as the Mariners general manager, Jerry's journey is a remarkable testament to the unwavering pursuit of excellence. Before taking the helm as the Mariners GM, Jerry left an indelible mark as the pitcher with the Cleveland Indians, New York Mets and Colorado Rockies, displaying his elite skills on the mound. However, it's his post-playing career that truly sets him apart. He's been a key figure in the baseball world with a remarkable tenure as the general manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks, Los Angeles Angels and now the Seattle Mariners. Throughout his career, Jerry's talent evaluation, knack for building championship caliber teams, and unwavering passion for the game have been recognized and applauded. With a string of impressive accolades, including Executive of the Year honors, Jerry has a reputation for crafting inventive and exciting strategies to lead his teams to victory. In this episode, we'll discuss his career highlights, strategic insights, and innovative approaches to building a team for the ages. I hope you enjoy. Jerry DePozo, welcome to the Accelerating Excellence podcast. Appreciate you having me, James. Cool. So I'd love to kick off with um, just asking you to talk through where the, where the love affair with baseball began for you. You know, for me, like, here growing up in the United States, Little League, uh, you know, there's I, I I was born in the late 60s, grew up in the 70s and early 80s, and, and, uh, and I grew up in central New Jersey, where we had exposure to, you know, multiple major league teams around us all the time. So I, I loved watching it. And as a kid, I loved playing it. I played through college and then got the opportunity to go play professional baseball. And, you know, I did that for about a dozen years. I played eight years at the major league level. And, you know, in, nine, in 2000, the year 2000, uh, my career ended due to injury. You know, I, I suffered a broken neck and, had to, you know, I had to retire. I didn't really have an option. And immediately I went to work in the front office, uh, then with the Colorado Rockies. And, you know, when I went into uh, the post playing career, uh, I guess, career that, that has developed for me, I, uh, the then CFO of the, the Rockies, who ultimately became the president of the club was Kelly McGregor. And Kelly, you know, he said to me, we're going to train you how to be a general manager. And, you know, and I thought that was a, a weird thing at the time, rather than just gathering experiences. But for the first two years of my purse, my, my, you know, my post playing career, I, I was with the Rockies working in various different departments, you know, instead of just working in the baseball operations department and using the expertise that I had with on-field, you know, activity, skill acquisition, you know, I, I started working for, you know, six hours a day in ticketing, six hours a day with the marketing group, six hours. And at the end of each day, I'd always go back to the baseball operation. And, and I don't, it, it took me a while to figure out what we were doing, you know, and I just rolled with it because I was enjoying getting to, to view all these different pieces of the puzzle. And, and what Kelly was doing for me at the time, you know, he was helping me understand what each of the departments around the baseball operation needed from baseball operations in order to thrive. And, 
and that that helped me in terms of uh, you know developing, evolving as a leader uh, in in understanding the team element. You know, in, in our baseball operations, we've got about 180 employees, and there are about another 180 that exist in our business operation. And you know, and for us to truly become the best version of a team that we can be, you know, integrate just like a team. I love playing. I love talking about the game. I love, you know, watching young players, you know, see something new for the first time. And that goes for the 12 year old, the 16 year old, or the 26 year old, depending on what level you're playing. And, you know, baseball is never the same twice. You know, every inning of every game of every year that you ever play, something different happens. And every day I leave the ballpark, and I've been doing this professionally now for 33 years. Every year, that every day that I leave the ballpark, I say, wow, I've never seen that before. <laughs> and something's going to happen today that I've never seen before. That's incredible. Would you be able to talk talk through to the listeners, you know, what a typical week looks like for, for uh, I guess, a GM in baseball? Yeah, you know, this this week is probably these last 10 days are maybe the most, the busiest of our calendar. We just finished up our, our annual amateur draft, which is uh, it's a three-day event in baseball. We draft 20 rounds and, you know, it, that that includes extra picks. So this year we had 22 picks. In order to, to get to that 22 picks, we start our draft meetings, you know, in mid-May. So, you know, for about a month, we are 10, 12 hours a day. We're going through uh, meetings where we present various amateur players from around the United States and Canada, um, who are those that are eligible for the annual draft. And we start with about a thousand players and, and we winnow that down to about 600 who make it onto our board. And then we spend a month ranking those players from one to 600 roughly. And, and, uh, and ultimately we get to pick 22 of them. So uh, we just finished that. That led us into, you know, what is now the, the, the mid stages of our, you know, annual trade deadline. August 1st is, is the, the Major League Baseball calendars, uh, I guess, Christmas morning for, you know, new acquisitions. It's the trade deadline. We are typically a very active team in that regard. So from the time I wake up in the morning, I first thing I like to do is, is, I try to get some cognitive work in. So I'm sharp, uh, get a workout in, and then you're on the phones, you know, hitting the phones. There's 30 teams in the league and, you know, we'll, we'll just check in with the other teams, try to determine what their, you know, goals are for the coming deadline. You know, might have four or five different, you know, calls with other club leadership over the course of a, of a given day. Then about, you know, two, three o'clock in the afternoon, our on-field activity starts. So always try to get down to the field, let the players see you for, for a day, you know, touch you, whatever it is, shake a hand, pat on the back. If it's going good or it's going bad, it makes people feel better. And uh, I try to do that for, for about an hour in the afternoon. And then we'll go into our pregame meetings and strategy sessions for, for how we might deploy our pitching staff on a given day, the way we will use our personnel uh, during the course of a game. These interactions will be with the major league manager and our coaching staff, our analysts, and uh, and typically our high performance people, so that we have a you know a good feel for what a player has to give that day. You know his 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 ability to function and, and where he is. You know in terms of you know gas tank full, gas tank empty type of of uh, I guess 
barometer. And then that takes us up to game time, which is typically around 7 p.m. We play a three-hour game, go home at 10, and come back the next morning ready to ready to roar at 9. Sounds easy. Yeah, it's not too bad. <laughs> if you love it, it's great. Yeah, of course. It's, it's so obvious your enthusiasm, your passion for it. And, you know, in terms of like the, the thing you touched on there that really struck me, which I think baseball is probably the unique and probably the leader in terms of sport, at least, is when it comes to talent identification, the statistical element, the leveraging data. I mean, how important is that in, in that process you described, whittling that thousand players down to the to the 22 it's critical you know for for decades the the, the scouting profession scouting and player development is the, it's really the lifeblood of 30 major league baseball organizations you know identifying cultivating growing you know your future players your stars and and the more often they can come from your system the the more often you know who that player is they believe in you as much as you believe in them and and so often if they make their way through your systems you know and, and your your philosophies remain consistent and and the way you develop players is interactive and you know now you've got believers but you know what has happened with with baseball over the last we'll call it 25 years but you know most especially over the last decade is that we have, you know, I guess, supplemented the normal, you know, the eye test of a major league scout who goes in and, you know, is looking for just raw tools, strength, ability to hit the ball far, throw the ball fast, run fast. You know, that for years it was only the eyes, and and now with the help of of third party information and even developing data internally based on informational feeds that we're getting anything from, you know, StatCast from satellite feeds to TrackMan information, you know, we, we are able to, to now, you know, winnow it down to, you know, the, the force that a pitcher imparts on a baseball and how many rotations he can create over 60 feet, six okay. inches. And, you know, and the, the type of ride that, that a fastball might achieve. So, you know, so that we can see, you know, we call it effective velocity. You know, you may have one pitcher who throws 95 miles an hour and it, and to the hitter, it's perceived to be, you know, a lesser fastball. And then there's another who throws 95 miles an hour and, and it feels like 110. So, you know, our analysts and sports scientists have done a phenomenal job of, of creating these, these models that, that will take, you know, tens of thousands of events on a field and turn it into usable, sortable data that we can allow to help us through the, you know, the evaluation process. And, and we couple that, I call it coupling what you see with what you know is, is you know, we, we will couple what our scouts see with what the data is telling us. And somewhere when those, you know, two pieces intersect, that's where the answer lies. And, right. and you know, we put a very high premium on getting to know the players, which is, it's hard, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but it's a 365 day calendar for their, for our scouting groups. And the goal is we've identified, you know, the, the baseline of what a player is capable of now tell me who has, you know, who has it, who's got the grit, who's got the heart, who's got the work habits, you know, who's got the, it's about the team mentality because once you get into you know the, the the major league you know player pool, 
the pool is so big. And, you know, even in-house, we have 230 players that, that wear our uniform, you know, somewhere in, in the minor leagues, in the Dominican Summer Academy or at the major league level. And, and you know, on a given night, only 26 of them are going to suit up for your major league team. Sure. And you need every one of those players to believe that they are part of, of whatever good results going to happen that night. And, and that the, the compatibility between player and organization we feel is, is huge to, to building a winning environment. And it's not just about how fast they throw or how fast they run. No, it's incredible. It's, it's such an interesting process. And in terms of the data itself, where's the intersect between deciding almost what to measure do you have a direct involvement or the coaching team or is that like a conversation between say the data scientist and 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 the technical expert or so we'll talk through you know the role that i play in it is i will talk about you know baseline strategies what we're trying to do in our roster build you know where we are in terms of you know contractual commitment to to a variety of players what the we try to break it down in six year, you know, uh, I guess six year segments, you know, baseball in, in each collective bargaining session, you know, or, or segment baseball is it, they, it runs in six year windows. And when you sign a player, you know, the, you draft and sign a player, that player descends to the big leagues. The day he arrives in the big leagues, he's effectively under con- club control for six years. And so therefore, we're always trying to build a window that that captures the most sustainable young player on your roster. So, you know, we're looking over a six year period. Therefore, when we get into the to the draft space or the evaluation space, I'm trying to lend a bigger picture view of what we're doing. Our our analysts have put together models that effectively take the things that we value most. And this is where we will sit at the table with coaches, with, 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 you know, individual skill acquisition uh, experts. And this could be on the pitching or the hitting front for us. It could also be on, you know, athletic skills that, that are maybe more common in, in contact sports or speed sports that aren't necessarily critical to baseball, but we measure those skills, you know, the, you know, we're, we're big on force play technology, incorporating that in what we do. We are, we're big on sprint speed. We are big on, on the ability to, to execute athletic movements, to exhibit strength, because from there we can build baseball skill if it exists even a little bit. So, you know, from sports science to analysts, to, to high performance strength teams, we all come together at a table and we build a model around the things that are most important to us. And yeah. it depends on the position on the field for, uh, for instance, for a, uh, for a pitcher, you know, we count, you know, force plate performance very heavily because you know, that the, the force that a pitcher can impart, you know, through the ground, you know, or, or from the ground up is critical to, to moving down a hill and throwing a baseball because the, the conventional wisdom is you're throwing a baseball with your arm. The reality is that, that if you're throwing a baseball properly and you're throwing it at high speeds, it's a lot of it is contingent on your core. Therefore, you know, it's uh, what might have been part of the scouting, you know, 
to you in 1950 or 1960 has changed drastically in 2023, where we now as, a, as an industry understand that core strength, that is explosive ground up athleticism is, is critical even to a, you know, a, a throw, an overhead throwing athlete because of the, you know, the slope on the mound. It's, it's having that type of power is, is advantageous. Obviously arm talent helps too, but you know, we need to, we need to identify what the player is capable of from a core strength perspective. And all of these things come shooting in and depending on the age and position of a player, we'll start evaluating these players internationally. We're evaluating these players starting at age, you know, 13, 14, much like, you know, uh, you know, English football, you know, it's what, yeah, what yeah. you know, soccer here in the United States, when you're seeing some of the, the you know, some of the, the feeder programs that exist for MLS teams here in the United States, you know, they, they, they're ultra young kids and we've developed scales that allow us to determine what those athletic movements look like. You know, if, if, if we need X at age 26, you know, what does that look like in a, in a 14 year old so that we can, we can look at those, look at those athletic measurables uh, without them being, uh, it, yeah, we're, we're looking at them both speaking the same language, I should say. And, and then we can determine who has the skills that we feel or who has the explosiveness that we feel like we can mold into baseball skills. Amazing. And, in terms of the sort of discretionary aspect, because you, you know you've got a young, youngish team, I, be, I, I believe from what I've seen, and and you've you had this incredible season last year. Like, what are some of the discretionary um, qualities from a character perspective that you think is perhaps a little bit unique to you know a mar being a mariner? You know, I guess we we talk about it when our players walk in the door. We stress it when we go through our pre-draft meetings when we sit down with kids. Um, and we, you know, players, when we are evaluating players, we're always, you know, grading a player out on a scale, you know, mm -hmm. and traditional scouting scale for 30 major league teams runs from 20 to 80 with 50 being average, 80 being elite, you know, 20 being, you know, we're, we're, on, we're working on it. <laughs> uh, and we, we tend to try to look at mental skills or development on a similar scale and, you know, we know not everybody that walks through the door is going to be elite and and how built out they are emotionally, mentally, you know. But some of the things you know that, that we count uh, heavily, some level of of you know aptitude ranks very high for us, and just the ability to to ingest information and and make it a part of what you do, you know, as you go out and, and attack. Obviously, work ethic. I think across any sport job but you know you're looking for someone who has a will to uh i think that will to is will we'll create a series of questions to ask the kids where we can determine whether they love baseball because you know as this conversation starts unless you love it it's a it's going to be really hard to be elite at it and you know it's it's our game, it's 162 regular season games. It's 33 spring games. You know, by the time you get through a calendar year, you've played 200-ish games, and that doesn't even account for practice time. So, you know, it's a, that's a, it is a 
day commitment. It is a, it's a lifelong passion. And if you don't love it, you're probably not going to be great at it. So the first thing we do is we try to figure out, you know, and I don't want to get too altruistic here, but we, we try to find out how community oriented is this kid, not in, in regard to, and when I say this kid, it could be a 16 a, a year old in, in Latin America an 18 year old high school kid who's a first round draft pick or a 23 year old college senior who we signed, you know, in the 15th round. When we interview these, these, these young men, our, our, our goal is to determine how, how much they believe in the community, in the community, in the clubhouse, that how, how much, how coachable is this player because they're open to, to, to the feedback. They are open to interaction. You know, if you get the, the super sensitive answer, if you get the, you know, if it's a lot of me's and I's and not a lot of we's, we tend to generally walk the other way. Uh, and then as soon as they walk in our door in development, we, we have a pretty simple, you know, motto, which is do the right thing. And from the day the kids walk in, you know, it's, it's a, it's an old Spike Lee reference from, from the eighties the movie or the early nineties. Um, we, when the kids walk through the door, there's always a right thing, you know, and, and our goal is whether you're, you're out in the community, you're in the clubhouse, you're on the field. Our goal is that when the moment happens, you're going to know what the right thing is and you're always going to choose good. And, you know, it, and we, we, we narrow that down to the way they react in the batter's box or on the mound. And, and we, we focus our teaching on, we call it dominating the strike zone. You know, we're going to dominate the zone. And that's the only thing we know we can control. We can control the pitch that we swing at. We can control whether we throw a ball or a strike. And from there, everything else in some way is left to chance. But though, that is the one part of the game we control what happens in the strike zone. And, and if that's always our mentality, and whether you're playing in a championship game or it's an early spring game where it's, it's more you know, ramping up into the long season, if your mentality is, I can control this pitch. And, you know, from there, we've narrowed it down to, you know, we, we call it the, the 15 second, 16 second funnel, where it, taking 16 seconds to, to breathe it in. And we had to narrow it down to 15 because now we have a pitch clock. <laughs> so the yeah, game moves a little faster. Changes. Yeah, yeah. But we have 15 seconds between pitches now. And in that time, each of our players, when they enter our system, is runs through a mental skills training for how they're going to use their 15 seconds. Great. You know, what it is they're doing. First, you've got to clear what happened, you know, the, the moment before the pitch you saw, the distraction, you know, that occurred with the last play. You know, take your breath, focus your breath, and, and, and now move into, you know, the next play or the next pitch. And, you know, if I had to say something that makes us a little different than the teams around us, that's probably it is that, you know, for eight years, that funnel has been at the root of what we teach. It's don't let the 162 game season, don't let the result, don't let the, the win or the loss that night drive you make it about these 15 seconds and then clear and move to the next 15 seconds. And, you know, and, and that's worked well for us. You know, we, we've, I think we have, uh, we have a young group. They're very athletic. They're very smart, you know, tons of, of aptitude in the group and a lot of belief in what we teach and how we teach it. 
And, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, when we find someone doesn't fit what we're trying to create, we tend to, to move in the direction of someone else. And, you know, because you need believers. If you don't have believers, you won't win championships. That's brilliant. I mean, it, for me, I, I, I'm absolutely obsessed with talent identification in terms of if you don't get that right, I think everything else is infinitely harder. So it's so insightful to hear your approach to that and how seriously you take that. And I can see how you're setting people up for success there. And you've got that sort of clear process. I mean, moving from talent identification onto sort of, I guess, that talent development piece, I know you've touched on it a little bit there, but how the hell do you keep 200 plus players motivated when the reality is that, you know, maybe 26, and I know you've probably answered that a bit in terms of what you're talking about in terms of the community and identifying people that can buy into that. But is there anything from else from a management perspective that you employ to, to try and, and keep the motivation high, despite it being so competitive? I mean, let alone just getting to a team like the Mariners, then once you're in, it's like, right, okay, a whole other battle, right, to get on to the get to the game that night. I mean, this is going to sound like a, a hokey answer. We tell them the truth. We tell them how hard it is. You know, um, it, when when a player is drafted, you know, in, in Major League Baseball, that player has an 11% chance of, of making it to the major leagues. So, you know, there are there are various levels of play. We have four full season minor league affiliates that, that each play a, a slightly more advanced version of, of baseball or plays against a more advanced level of competition than, than the one before it. We have two levels of play that are that are more uh, instructional, where, where they are playing games a little bit more irregularly, and it's a lot more focused practice time. And, and those are both hosted in academies, you know, where we have facilities, one in Boca Chica in the Dominican Republic, another in Peoria, Arizona, and they just operate year round. And our, and our players are constantly in skills acquisition mode. And the, the, the competition is, it's a little, you know, a little more unrefined. And, and you're trying to, at those levels, you know, develop, it's like learning a language. We're, we're learning the baseline before we go into, you know, working a podcast. <laughs> so I, I think the, from that's where, that's where it starts for us in, in, in some ways in the, in the development chain. And then as they go through the, you know, the various stages, we can, you know, obviously a triple A AAA player, which is the highest end of our minor league system has a much higher percentage chance of playing in the major leagues than does an A ball player. And along the way, we show them the facts. We tell them why it's so hard. And our general thought is if we tell them the truth, if we lay out a roadmap for how they're going to get there, the guys who are willing to dive into it, if you don't have the heart to do it, if you don't have the, you know, if you don't love the process, you're, you're never going to get there. And, you know, so we, we asked them at the very beginning, accept the fact that you've got roughly a one in 10 shot of becoming a big leaguer, fall in love with the process. And if you do these things, you know, we will help you maximize whatever your upside potential is. Now, be the best version of you. And, and I think any good developmental model, whether it's in sports or, or any other form of business, any employee, any teammate, any, you know, any player that, that comes across your board, the best you can do for them is promise them that you're going to do what you can do, what you can control to help them become the best version of them. And, uh, and I feel mostly confident that, that over the, the eight years we've all been here together, 
most of our players would say that however good they could have been, we helped them be you know, what that was. And, and, and I, and I'm proud of our system for doing that. You know, I'm sure there've been some that we've let down, but for the most part, I think we've done a very good job of following through on maximizing a player's physical gifts, marrying them with a more refined, you know, mental approach and, and trying to find the players who have the play a game that you play every day. And it's a, you know, it's, it's a hard season when you're playing 21 straight days without a day off. It's a hard season when you are 35 years old and your body doesn't want to move the way it did when it's 25. But what we can do in development is we can teach you coping skills. We can teach you weight room skills. We can teach you nutritional, uh, I guess, understanding to make it more likely that you'll succeed when that moment comes if you fall in love with the process. So, you know, we make our, our development all about process and less about result. And, you know, we'll celebrate results, but by and large, we focus on the process. And when, when our players fall in love with the process, we celebrate that player and, and make it a little bit more uh, as of an elaborate show because you want the rest whether they're 16 years old in, in the Dominican Republic or, or 21 years old in Peoria, Arizona, you want them to feel the, the love when they are, when they, when they achieve process orientation, because that's how they're getting through the next stages. And we could talk for hours about the, the acquisition of, of small baseball skills. It's such a motor skill game, but the, the more important thing is the mindset of process over result. And, and if that is the only thing we give our players, the talent will, will oftentimes take care of itself, especially if that's your mindset. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating to hear. And it's, and obviously the, the, the organization has a reputation for doing this really well, which is one of the reasons it's so interesting to hear, hear it uh, from you. I mean, is there an athlete or player that you've worked with that you think has perhaps illustrated this, you know, this, this almost marriage between this, you know, you talk about setting them up for success, but has really taken it by the throat in terms of the assets you provided them in the environment to, to, and in doing so, um, you know, really drove their career to the top. Oh, I think so. I, you know, on our current team, and again, it's a very young team, but we have a group of players, most of whom have come through our systems and and started with us. And, you know, I'll start with, you know, who probably our most identifiable player right now is our center fielder, Julio Rodriguez. And Julio has been a Mariner since he was 16 years old. And we signed him uh, as an international free agent at that time. And, and I, I think he embodies what has become, you know, we have a, if I had a way to describe our, our organization, it is of a learning culture. And, and I think Julio is a great example of it. He, he came in uh, English as a second language and, and his English was not advanced as a 16 year old kid who grew up in the Dominican. He comes from a smart family who his dad speaks some English, his mom, very little, but they're smart, developed people. Uh, and, and he came in with a desire to achieve. And, you know, it was very clear when we got to know him as an amateur player, he wanted to be great at, at this. And he understood what that meant, you know, the work that was going to, to come with it. And the day he signed, he said, what do I have to do to get from, and it was in the Dominican Republic and in, in Boca Chica, where typically we will 
will have kids play there for two, maybe two and a half years before they transition to the United States and, and start their upward journey. And Julio asked, you know, how long do I have to stay here before I get to go to the United States and, and, and play the real competition? And, and we told him then, you have to learn English to the point where you can conduct an interview in English. And if you can do that, we'll send you to high performance camp and start you in the, the United States. And uh, long story short, his first season in the Dominican Republic was as a 17 year old and his first appearance in the United States was that fall. So, you know, he played a season and then, uh, and came to the United States. And when he got there, did an interview in English as soon as he arrived and, uh, and he became, you know, kind of a, almost like a poster child for what we were trying to achieve in our organization. He's an incredibly smart young guy is he's still just, 22 years old. He's coming off of a season where he was the rookie of the year, finished in the top 10 in the MVP at 21 years old, incredibly talented. But along the way, you know, the, the skills acquisitions, he changed himself as a player by buying into, you know, what we would call a holistic developmental plan. He changed his body type. He actually, you know, increased his running speed on the 20 to 80 scale from what we would have called a 55 the day he signed to presently is one of the half dozen fastest runners in the big leagues, which is wow. a pretty amazing transition because by our experiences, the least likely of the athletic skills to increase exponentially would be run, you know, get you typically yeah. don't get faster as you get older. Sure. And, he did. And, uh, you know, it's a tribute to him. He worked privately with a sprint coach, uh, you know, an Olympic sprint coach to, to refine his form. And he just bought into the idea of, of being excellent. He wanted to be uh, he wanted to be an elite level player and he committed to it. And, you know, along the way, each one of our players and, and Julio is an example of, of this when they start every season and when they finish every season, we they're, they're doing it with a player plan in tow. So each one of them had, we call it our BBYs, the best version of you. And, you know, we are, we give each player his own BBY and it includes baseball skills, how we're going to refine in a given area. It, it, in some cases, it, it, it captures off field, uh, I guess, goals, what you're trying to do in the community, what you're trying to do in Julio's case. And, and, you know, I guess in, in learning the English language for other players, it may be, you know, it may be more data driven. And for some players, it may be more, you know, physical uh, change and, and, you know, our, our staffs from our high performance to our on-field coaches collaborate with the player in tow and, and the, and whether that player is 17 year old Julio Rodriguez or, you know, 31 year old Robbie Ray, who came in as a free agent, each one of them gets in the driver's seat of their own career. And the rest of us pile in the car and develop this plan for how they're going to get where they go. And, and when you make that kind of commitment and, and share that kind of time with a player, some of the reactions that we have had you know, have, have been remarkable. And, and Julio's a great example of it. You know, he's, he is now, as big an advocate for our programs as any player who's ever come through. Uh, he believes in us the same way we believe in him. And last year when we approached him about what wound up becoming, you know, maybe the, the biggest contract in the history of, of 
Major League Baseball. It, it was a uh, it was such a unique contract that married a player who believes in the group around him, the way we do it, and and the people who do it. And he watched from age 16 to now age 22 as everything that we committed to doing with him and everything he committed in giving back, you know, has has resulted in his ascent to stardom pretty quickly. And and I I think just in looking back at the process, it hit every single thing that we wanted to 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 do with Julio and everything that he wanted to to create for himself intersected at such an early age and he has expressed his his appreciation for that process and shared it with the players around him which makes our community even stronger and uh it's 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 really a, a great story if you you dig into it and I can go on for hours about <laughs> other players in our system you know we have a group of pitchers we have one of the best pitching staffs in major league baseball uh, we have four starting pitchers who are age 26 or younger, which makes us the only team in the league with, with that, you know, that, that, that young a staff and they're all really good. And we have such a data oriented pitching program and, and, and we are very strategic in what we do in, in terms of shaping pitches uh, using our arsenal and in, in a different way than maybe many teams do. And, you know, we try to identify traits in, in sports psych at the early stages of these players' careers or when we're scouting them that, that, that scream, this player is open to this kind of modern, you know, more data-driven teaching and, and, and coaching. And then we, we take the evidence, we present it to the player, and we have a group of pitchers who, I mean, they eat it for lunch. And, and these guys have been phenomenal. Uh, again, performance-wise, they've been among the best in the league for a couple of years now. And, and it's been remarkable to watch as these kids enter our system at, at age you know 20 or 21, and now what they've been able to become at 23, 24, 26 years old some of the best pitchers in the league and and all of them have seen incredible jumps in both their physical stuff and in their consistency in executing and it's it's not something that that was you know 15 elements that were contributing toward this improvement it was finding a kid who believed in evidence you know mm -hmm. that was driven by you know the idea that if this then this and yeah. you know and we presented them with the if and, and they have brought the then to life that's brilliant it, it's so inspirational to hear and you know it's it's not easy to create that sort of system and set up but the returns are enormous if you get it right and i think you're, you've obviously seen that and i think that base baseline is only going to only going to shift upward across time i can't wait to, to to watch that uh watch this sort of play out sorry to interrupt the podcast but before we dive deeper into the conversation i want to express how grateful i am that you're voluntarily choosing to spend your time here with us i also want to take a moment to ask for your support i want to bring you the best podcast i can in terms of guests engaging discussions and thought-provoking conversations every week and that's where you come in by hitting that like button and subscribing to the podcast, you play a vital role. Simply put, when you hit that like button or subscribe, you enable the podcast to reach a much wider audience. 
And the wider the audience, the easier it is for guests within my network to convince their agents, management teams to free up their diary and come on the show. Thank you in advance for your likes and subscriptions. Now let's get back to business. One of the things that's quite clear with what you do is you have high standards. What What's perhaps your advice to, to other people in management, perhaps maybe in different fields, in terms of you've got, you've got this great talent identification system, you bring individuals in, you're clearly very clear about what you expect from them, but and then also what, what, what they can expect from you. Are there any other sort of methods or principles you you enact to ensure that, that those, those standards do remain um, remain high as possible? So to me, if you don't have high standards, there's, you'll never get where you want to go unless where you want to go is the, the floor. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, every year, you know, and August is typically the time we do it every year we review all of our system. And this is our directors and up from our major league manager to the various directors of our independent departments, you know, that, that cross our organization, we get together and we talk about what we're about, you know, what we're doing. We, we try to, we go through what I would call, you know, a cultural check-in. What is our culture? What are we about? And are we modeling it? Because the the first thing that those young players, when they walk through the door, see is your behaviors. And, and if you set a standard, this is what the Mariners are about. And it can't be, you know, the Mariners are about winning the World Series. That's a, there's, that will happen if, our process continues to be executed in a consist, consistent way. And we, and we, you know, if we bring to life the smaller elements, lots of small typically results in something big. And, you know, and, and we stress that. Now we have to model consistency in how we do that. And, you know, it's, it's, about, it's about showing up for one another. It's about not reacting in, in a moment to a result that might not have been what you wanted. It's, you know, it's everybody can be driven by a win or a loss on a given night. You know, there's you have to you have to model an environment where that's not the end all be all, because if if you focus on that 15 seconds, if you focus on the individual skill acquisition, if you focus on the small, if you focus on what pitch do I swing at, what pitch do I take? the result kind of takes care of itself. And, you know, and that's the thing that we stress most with our players. Therefore, I think if I had to, to suggest how do we maintain, you know, that standard is we have to model it. We can't go in there when a, when a hitter goes over four with three strikeouts, waving our hands in the air, you know, demanding to know why he's, you know, it, it gets back to, Hey, what are we swinging at? And we can use it as a, you know, we'll, we'll every, every roughly week, uh, Andy McKay, who is our assistant general manager, longtime mental skills you know, coach, aficionado around Major League Baseball and college baseball, also our farm director, you know, ran our player development system for seven years. Uh, Andy sends out a weekly email to our entire organization uh, around the teaching, the teachable moments that occurred that week, system wide. It could have been in Everett. Washington at, at an A-ball game or here in Seattle with our big league club. It could have been in the draft room when scouts were talking about, you know, making a certain selection. What is a teachable moment that that helps us identify that we are constantly, you know, operating above the line, above that bar that that we've set for ourselves? And and 
and achieving consistency as an organization. Uh, it's we all want to win championships, uh, but if if our focus is the championship rather than the steps that lead us to the championship, we're never going to get there. So it's uh, I, I, I'm going to call Andy our he is a, he's going to be our our standards police, yeah, making yeah. sure that we never lose sight of of what gets us to that line and what gets us to the line is typically you know it's a stairway and and we have to focus on each step rather than looking at the the door at the top brilliant and another another topic that, that i guess inevitably comes up when you're talking about developing um individuals is is discipline and i know there's almost like this new generation of players and performers across again all domains that are coming through How's how's discipline enforced at the Mariners? Is there a specific philosophy around that? But I think the you know discipline is required to to achieve whatever that is. You know, if 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 you work at Microsoft or Starbucks or you're a player for the Mariners or you know at at, at you know the the San Diego Chargers, it's a or, or the LA Chargers. It's it's a if you don't have discipline at the root of what you do you're not going very far. And that, and that probably goes for an individual, you know, a human being along the way, like yeah. discipline. We, we have interacted with, uh, with, you know, what I would say is a uh, Brian kite who he, he, he runs a, 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 a group formerly worked at with Ohio state university. He and his dad, um, put together uh, programs with for cultural development, organizational learning, you know, and, and kind of motivational speaking. He'll come in. He's he's been uh, with us a number of times through the years, and kind of coined for us the the term, you know, discipline is the shortcut. If we are not disciplined to the things that we believe in, you know, uh, then we won't go very far. That being said. Over 162 game season, when the players generally arrive at the ballpark about 11 o'clock in the morning and usually go home at about 11 o'clock at night, when you have a 12-hour workday of, of you know intense work, you have to find time to give the players a mental break. So you know we build we build schedules that that allow the player shorter times of of focus. So, and in those moments, we require that discipline. They need to be disciplined to 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 the focus required when you're in the batting title tunnel, when you're in the the weight room, when you're in the the training room, you know. And and then we try to to buffer it with some downtime, do some things that allow them to release, you know, make it fun. And uh, you know, I think that's where Scott Service, our manager, and our staff come in. There's if you find a way to make discipline fun, especially with, with today's athlete, we find, you know, everybody wants to have fun, you know, it, how do you make discipline fun? And, and, and I think we found a nice mix of that. And, you know, again, if this is what they're, if this is what they're taught, you know, from ground up is yeah. be serious about the work that you do. And, you know, when, when you step on the baseball field, we can have fun, we can smile and we can laugh, but, but there's, there is a seriousness associated with putting a bat on a ball, fielding a ground ball, you know, running base to base. And if, if we ever have, you know, moments, you know, contentious moments or, or, or tougher conversations with our players or with one another, it's because we weren't focused. Our discipline in that moment 
we, we got sloppy. And, you know, we can't allow ourselves to get sloppy because as soon as you do, that's when somebody passes you by. So, you know, we stress what those important moments are. We try to make it fun around those moments so that you don't feel like it's a chore, that discipline comes naturally to you. And and our players know via their BVYs or or their player plans, they know what those disciplines are. Each one of them is going to have, you know, on the low end, it might be four discipline points over the course of a, of a given day or week. This is what you're working on. And, and they know that's my discipline and I have to show up on time. I have to be focused on doing this at that time. And when that's done, I can have a little bit of fun here and, and along the way, make them laugh. But, you know, if you make, if you make, uh, and when you say discipline, I immediately go to routines and schedules. You you have to have, you know, each player is going to have his own routine. And to me, that is, you know, that is a, a collective discipline. You know, when if you would have asked me 30 years ago when I was a player, what is discipline? I would have said, ah, that's when the manager yells at us. <laughs> There's the, yeah, if yeah. you do it There's right, a, a you're never yeah. really in that, that 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 zone. You know, you don't have to get there. The manager can just walk in and say, guys, we're not focused on the things we need to be focused on. And it doesn't need to be as he's flipping over a table or throwing the bats in the shower. You know, it's a professional <laughs> conversation rather than, yeah. a, you know, a reprimand. Yeah. And I imagine, again, that's much easier to do when you set things up the way you have in terms of the way you bring talent in, the belief, the community, uh, and, and and again, the focus on process. That's a, it's a focus. It's a it's it, again, and this is where we started some time back. It's a focus on doing the right thing. And, 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 you know, in that moment, when we're going through infield practice, when we're down taking BP, when we're in the rate room, you know, what is the right thing to do here? The right thing to do here is to focus on that thing. And do you think you know, being a player before, you know, help, helps you with that, having that experience of what it, because you must have felt that you've been in the room when the baseball, when bats are probably getting flung across the room. And, exactly. Know, those and, montages on YouTube, you know, but. And you know this in the, in the worlds that you operate in as, as complex as they are, there's, there is, you know, as the decades have gone by, there's a different mentality with, with, you know, the people in our clubhouse today. Absolutely. You know, most of our team are between the ages of 22 and 29 years old. There's, if, if our manager, you know, when I was 25 years old and our manager comes in and starts yelling and it, it wasn't infrequent, it was a very, you know, normal leadership yeah. style in the, in the nineties or the, the late eighties. And when those moments happen, you know, you were attentive, you're listening to what he says, and you get back out on the field. And in a moment, you're throwing the ball around and you don't really remember, you know, why you were getting yelled at. But you, but, you know, you knew when, when that next opportunity to, to execute came along, oh, this is what Skip was talking about. And, you know, and you're, you're focused on it. If you go in and do that today, they just turn you off. There, there's a, it's a, the, the attention is, is a, it's in a different place. And, you know, you go in and you, you try to use, you know, the, the practices of 30 years ago, the yellers mentality. No, but if, if I work for Microsoft or Starbucks 
and my, my you know my direct the, my direct report my my boss comes in and starts screaming at me because i poured two shots instead of one and you know at the barista bar how am i how am i going to function probably not very well and and i don't think many athletes do although you're going to come across an athlete you know that the, the who does respond very well to challenges like that. And, and if as a coach, if as a leader, you have something like that in your cachet for that unique person or player, yeah. then you can pull it out, but you got to know who you can pull it out for. And therein is the, like the feel of, of guiding a team of being a leader is that, you know, if you're doing it right and you have 26 players you have 26 players and you develop 26 relationships and, and your ability to be an effective leader is going to be about how strong those relationships are and how much those people believe in you and how much you can inspire them to go to a place that they wouldn't have gone by themselves. And, and my guess is that the best way to do that is not going in and screaming at somebody. It's, it's probably, you know, more, we're going to build something based on evidence and I'm going to show you why it works and then i'm going to focus with you on process and the results that will leave them to, to to fate and usually fate works out in your corner if you do those things brilliant i wanted to just ask you quickly you, you've had such an interesting career as a player and like you said in the back office side of things but is there is there one moment that sticks out as a peak experience for you in terms of when everything's come together and in, in in that moment you're just like wow okay this is awesome so, you know, last year we were, it's, so this is the, the 2022 season in 2018, uh, we have uh, to, to take it back a couple of, of steps. I came to Seattle prior to the 2016 season and we had a veteran team. We actually had the oldest team in the league. Uh, we had a pretty cumbersome payroll. We were, you know, we were good, not great. And we hadn't been to the postseason at that time in 16 years. So, you know, came in and and I, I had a year to assess. We had a we had a good, not great year. Uh, we won 86 games, you know, finished. We got knocked out of, of postseason, uh, of the postseason on the last day of the regular season. So it was a little bit heartbreaking. Uh, and then we went through the next two years in a similar fashion. Good, not great. We continued to get older. We're still the oldest team in the league. And then following the 2018 season, you know, we started breaking our roster down and moving toward younger players, primarily because we had had now three years to start drafting and developing to, to, to build the foundation for the types of programs that we've discussed to this point mm -hmm. in the program. And, you know, now we wanted to, to start building a foundation to sustain a, a winning culture and and to do that you have to have skill you, you can't just roll out there with older players who are maybe on the back nine <laughs> and you know you need some guys that are ready to tee off on the front and and i think the 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 way our system you know came through was encouraging we went through a uh you know what we called a step back in 2019 we did not have a good you know results season but we really grew internally and, and then coming out of, of the COVID truncated season in 2020, you know, we started seeing the fruits of, of, of that labor of all the talent that we had acquired of the young players who were starting to grow. And, and we brought in, you know, a handful of veteran players who had 
awesome leadership abilities and, you know, and really did a wonderful job of starting to create a culture of togetherness in our clubhouse. And, you know, that ultimately resulted in back-to-back 90 win seasons that, that led us to, you know, last season in September of 2022, we had a, a walk-off pinch hit home run to send us to the postseason for the first time in 20 years uh, by a player who we drafted in the third round of the draft, who grew through our system, who is among, you know, the, the emerging leaders in our clubhouse. And, you know, for, for that moment to happen, it was, you know, it, a 20 years of a frustrated uh, fan base that got to erupt and enjoy a day. It was, you know, validation for an organization that laid out a game plan for how we were going to get there and that it actually happened, you know, and, you know, I will say this, it was, we laid out a roadmap. We didn't, we didn't put a timeline on it. We didn't say we are going to win the world series in this year. You know, we, 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 this is, this is what we are going to do from a process standpoint. We drafted, we developed, we traded, we got younger, we built this foundation. And then one of the players who was really there at the very start of it through our system came up and hit what might've been the biggest home run in the history of the organization to send us to the postseason. Beautiful. And it was rewarding for every single person that touched for the scouts, for the, for the nutritionist, for the, the, the trainer, for the managers, for the front office people. And then like back in those days with the Rockies in the early two thousands for the people in marketing, for the people in ticketing, for the yeah. you know, people community relations they all got to take part in it and that to me was my best day in baseball amazing amazing and i heard the uh seattle went a bit wild for that as well i heard the fans oh uh, man it was crazy yeah i mean citywide it was unbelievable you couldn't uh, there's suffice to say i didn't have to pay for much you know if i walked into a restaurant or a bar for for a couple of, of, of months thereafter enjoy that while it lasts i'm sure there'll be plenty more of that to come um I wanted to um, throw you a few sort of closing questions and just, just, just general ones, really. Uh, greatest athlete of all time. Wow. Greatest athlete of all time. There's, if you ask me who, uh, I might go with Pele. Uh, it's okay. a, so, and 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 I saw Pele when he was old. He was playing for the New York Cosmos, uh, and you know had come from uh, the the world of international soccer, which I knew nothing of at that time. But you know, I, I look at guys like Pele. I look at guys like Michael Jordan. Uh, yeah, cool. I look at almost, and I don't know how much uh, American football that, that you've watched over time. I look at the defensive backs who play uh, in the NFL today. Yeah. The best athletes that I've ever seen are you know when you can run backwards along you know in 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 front of one of the fastest people in the world they know where they're going exactly. and you don't and you can react that that is yeah. athleticism in a different category but you know i love you know a michael jordan a lebron james a pele guys who've done it over decades that yeah. that were dominating in their sports you know i from a from a you know from a sustenance standpoint, I think their athleticism is is an often it's often genetic. You know, these there's 
these guys were incredible athletes who did things for so, so long. And I, you know, I'll throw another one that's maybe a little unique to Seattle. And if you've not spent any time around Seattle or the WNBA, you know, Sue Bird, who would just finished a 20 year career in the WNBA. And, and I think will go down as, as the best player in the history of the league or, or one of them, okay. you know, phenomenal like her quickness in small spaces her vision to 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 move where someone else is not and to do it in your late 30s at 40 years old when when these when these athletes are are still skilled that's fascinating to me so i know that's a lot of different names but you know i'll go with those who did it over you know two and three decades like a pele a michael jordan a lebron james or a Subert. And what about team? Greatest team of all time. Greatest team of all time? Uh, wow, it's a good one. There's, I'm, as a fan of baseball, I'm, I'm a yeah. little partial. You know, I think the for me, the greatest team of all time was the 1986 New York Mets because you know, I, I was, I, I was a, a longtime Mets fan and they finally won the World Series with a group that was young and fun and, and uh, you know, Brilliant. and I know logically they, they probably aren't the greatest team of all time. <laughs> But yeah, it's you know, your I question. Love, it's your answer. I love um, the, I love the the San Francisco 49ers of the the early yeah. mid 1980s. You know, Bill Walsh's 49ers, and even the more recent Bill Belichick. You know, led Patriots dynasty. I, I can't say I'm fans of either team necessarily, yeah. but I love what they built. And you know, in a lot of ways, those two organizations embody many of the things that we value. So There's clearly some I shared values there, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. And if you could grab coffee or a beer with any historical figure, is there anyone that jumps out to you? Any inside or outside of sports? Yeah. Any in, outside, inside and outside. Wow. Yeah. You know, over various times in my, in my life, I might answer that in, in different yeah. ways. But over the last six or eight years, I've become a huge fan of, uh, you know, like that. Like a lot of others in in the world right now, focused on 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 growth, on learning, personal growth. I've become fascinated with stoicism, and I've learned yeah. a lot about Marcus Aurelius. If I had to pick one for a day Watch right now, yeah. yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to sit down with Marcus Aurelius and nice see the pint with uh, Marcus would go down. That's well. right. And is there a leader? Is there a leader that stands out against sport? Probably the same answer, but yeah. I you know, if I there there I might go a slightly different direction, and yeah. you know this might be marrying you know that that idea of of stoicism of of high character of belief, you know of doing the right thing with yeah. you know a, a twist of uh, kind of Hollywood flair. Yeah. It, it, the 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 life of Nelson Mandela is is okay. pretty fascinating to me, and. Yeah. Uh, to endure what he endured, to still come out as a leader of people, and you know, and to do it with what what I think, at least front facing, was a a a, a genuine kindness. You know, mm-hmm. after after enduring what was you know wildly unfair, I think that's leadership to me. Is okay. is he led in bad times. He led, you know, he led himself as a person through, you know, through jail time and came out and then led a nation, you know, to, to something greater than what as well. That's <laughs> right. And I, yeah, that's pretty cool. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a favorite book? Favorite book? Uh, 
if I had to pick one right now, the one on my shelf that is most marked up, the most, you know, margin notes, the most yellow highlighter ink is your book. <laughs> oh, wow. And, it's a, and, so and I, I know you didn't think I was going to give that answer, but, you know, and I, I've shared it with, with a couple of people. You sent me a, an early copy and um, I absolutely loved it. I've read it through, you know, at least three times. I've made margin notes. I, there's so many of the, the, the pieces, so many nuggets from that book that we use organizationally, that we use every day in, in what we do and how we do it. Um, I, there's, I'm wildly appreciative that you shared it with me. And, uh, and, it, and, I, and I know that's a, that was a layup for me, but it's true. I, I have worn that out over the course of the last three years. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's, and I mean that as a compliment, not as a trying to, trying to butter you up. I, I thought it was meaningful. It's oh, awesome. Last question I want to ask. There's someone probably sat listening to this conversation, no doubt inspired by, by you sort of sharing your expertise. And I think deep down, perhaps they're in a situation where maybe they believe they've got more in them, but they're not quite sure or where to start or, you know, and I know you've shared a lot of information that give them the clue there, but if there was one message you could drill into them, what would that message be? Just start walking, you know, just w whatever it is that you want to do and just believe in yourself, start walking and don't be afraid to fail. Uh, it's a, uh, if failure is inevitable, if you're, if you push yourself far enough, if you do, you know, if you do have the ability, you know, a skill level that, that, that if cultivated can lead you to, you know, something great, just start walking in that direction. It's, you know, the, throw the first ball, take the first swing, you know, write the first letter, whatever it is that you do in your walk of life, just do the first thing. And, you know, whatever you do, you have to have a passion for if you want to be great at that thing, or if you want to feel, you know, ultimately, if, if you want to feel fulfilled as a human being. And, you know, I, there's some of the greatest, as a matter of fact, all of the greatest lessons I've learned, I've learned through failure. You know, it, it's, it's finding, it's pushing yourself to places that you, you couldn't imagine that you would go. It's, it's putting your head down and saying, all right, what's the lesson to learn here, but don't be afraid to, to take the step and just go start doing that thing, whatever it is. And, and, uh, and, and do it like nobody's watching you. Like, like the, the, the quote about dancing that my daughters have shared with me in the past, you know, it's a, do it like nobody's watching because at the, really? at the end of the day, nobody's really watching. They don't care. Yeah. They, there's it's uh, it's, but once you achieve, once you get to that standard, like we talked about before and you operate at and above that standard for, for the rest of time and you remain disciplined, now they're watching, you know? Amazing. And, and if the, if you don't take the first step or have the courage to do that, I, like if I had to pick one virtue that is more important than, than any of the others, it's courage. You have to have the courage to live. You have to have the courage to thrive. You have to have the courage to take a chance. And, you know, it takes courage to succeed. And, you know, I, I think it's uh, just that first step is the most important thing. Just do it. Thank you so much, Terry. That's been an incredible conversation. And uh, no doubt there's some inspired people listening to this who are going to uh, shortly be getting after it. Um, wishing you the absolute best uh, for the rest of the season and I'll hopefully see you soon. Appreciate it, James. I look forward to it. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with us today. 
I love this topic of human performance and excellence and have been engaged in it neurotically for the last 20 years. It's a sincere privilege to have the opportunity to share my knowledge, network and learnings with you. Now go and put the principles to work. Make sure you let us know what resonates. Reach out with questions. Blind spots, we've got you covered. Remember, excellence is just a series of days repeated over and over again. Now go and win your day. In 2021, I published my first book, Accelerating Excellence. If you're finding the conversations and information on this podcast useful, you might want a physical reference point and to gain even deeper awareness of the concepts discussed. The book's actually more of an operation manual containing more detail with a step-by-step -step guide on how to implement all this stuff so you can get maximum benefit, which was one of my main motivations in writing it. Yes, I want the podcast and the book to be inspiring and entertaining, but it was non-negotiable for me to make sure that the listener or reader is provided with a structure and direction in terms of actually putting this stuff to work. The book's called Accelerating Excellence. It's a number one international bestseller. And if you're moving from more than just interest towards implementation, I think you'll really enjoy it. Like everything I do, the book is evidence-based, but practice-led, drawing on my experience, working with some of the world's most elite, exclusive, high-performing teams and individuals. It's filled with highly actionable strategies you can apply today to become better tomorrow. If this sounds like something from you, see the link in description where you can download six chapters of the book for free in either audio or digital format. It's also available to purchase on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and at your local bookstore. I hope you enjoy. By now, we all know the importance of a winning mindset. We're bombarded with elite performers telling us that mindset's what separates the best from the rest. That if we want to be successful, we need to be more confident, resilient, and motivated. And of course, when panic strikes, we need to calm down, relax, or chill out. Great, we get it. But the question is how? We're given this guidance with almost zero practical advice in terms of how to achieve it. Where can we actually go to develop that world-class mindset? What's the back squat for resilience, the bench press for confidence, and the bicep curl for positive thinking? Well, that's why I created the Mindset app. Through the app, you'll gain access to the psychological skills training used by world champion athletes, special forces operators, and some of the world's most successful traders and investors. The reality is these guys pay me a fortune to help them get this right. But the thing is, these skills are equally, if not more important, for the aspiring athlete, executive, or operator. And that's exactly why I created this app. I want these tools and training available to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Mindset is a skill, and like any skill, it can be developed with the right strategy and effort. The tools and techniques are designed in a way that will literally rewire your brain. Like learning to ride a bike or drive a car, all the techniques are designed with creating a high-performing, self-regulating U2.0. Every strategy in the Mindset app is backed by empirical research. There's 10-minute emotional control training exercises that have been shown to increase your ability to overcome detrimental decision-making biases by up to 80%. In another study, just three weeks of executing visualization training led to 34% improvements in performance. Another research group found 50% greater improvements in the rate of learning. And just a few weeks of performing visualization led to 22% reductions in anxiety and 21% increases in confidence. These numbers are phenomenal. And I've never met an elite performer in any domain that can afford to be missing out on this type of edge. What I love most is that we've structured everything so that you don't need to carve out an extra hour in your day 
to get this done. Small bite-sized chunks of five to 10 minutes are all it takes. In fact, I'd only encourage you to use the tool on your commute, in the sauna, at the end of your working day, or bolt it onto the end of your gym session. Any dead time you have can now immediately be transformed to deliver you extreme performance gains. My goal is to remove every possible obstacle to your development. And with that in mind, the basic package is completely free. Visit the link in description and sign up for our pre-launch free emotional control, visualization, and performance routine programs. I really hope you enjoy.